Hi, everyone. Just a reminder that this show is not legal advice, trading advice, financial advice, or personal advice. Enjoy the show, and thank you very much. This show is sponsored by Inco, the world's first blockchain-based health tech financial solutions platform. Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101, the average consumer's guide to cryptocurrency. This is Matthew Aaron. Security tokens and utility tokens. STOs, ICOs. What's the difference? Well, we're going to talk about that today with Sam Katharani, founder and CEO of Coral. And we're going to go through the evolution from ICOs, all the FUD, all the scams, all the great successes, and how it's going to evolve into security token offerings. People are saying that STOs are going to be the ICOs of 2019. You're going to see all of the money come in to security tokens. Well, we'll wait to see if that's true. But first, we're going to figure out what they are. Before that and after that, please check me out on YouTube, Crypto 101 with Matthew Aaron, where you can see our previews and roundups for every podcast episode that we put out. Also, Crypto101podcast.com, where you can check out our blogs, where we write blogs about the episodes that come out. Also, good summaries of the episodes. You can subscribe to us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to see what we're up to and join the conversation with a great community. You can send me an email, say what's up, and also think about becoming a Patreon to make sure that Crypto101 stays around through the FUD, the bulls, the bears, and anything else that crypto will throw at us. Now, without further ado, Here's my conversation with Sam, STO101. Sam Katharani, welcome to Crypto 101. Hey, thanks for having me, Matthew. Sam, what we're going to do today is we're going to go to Tokens 101, specifically security tokens. So if you don't mind, what we're going to do today is we're going to go and learn a little bit about you. And then I want to shift the conversation into fundraising, ICOs, the history of an ICO, how this progressed to now we're talking about something called STO, which is a security token. And I want to know about regulation. I want to know about what these things are doing. What's the difference between an STO and a utility token? And well, we'll see how this progresses because I think this is an interesting topic. People are calling this the ICOs of 2018, 2019, and they're going to take over and all the monies are going to be sure. invested into security tokens. And then maybe some things about the general space. What do you think? Uh, sounds like we have a packed agenda for today. And we yeah, do. You are correct. Like uh, ICOs are, STOs are the new ICOs. Excellent. So well, before we get into that, who are you, sir? Cool. Yeah, I love that question. I love when people get to know me for, for jumping <laughs> into uh, stuff. So yeah, I'm, uh, I'm originally a software engineer by background. Uh, I'm originally Lebanese as well. I uh, moved shortly after the graduation to work with a company in the UK. Uh, I was one of their head of products in the Middle East and North Africa. I did that for about three years and then I uh, decided to move back to Montreal around 2008-2009. Uh, where I joined a company in the uh, payment processing space, one of the leaders in uh, North America. And shortly after, I got into fintech before fintech got popular, right? So I was the head of product at a marketplace lender uh, and Canada's first peer-to-peer lender back in the day. Uh, I was literally employee number four, so I've always enjoyed working in startups and uh, where you end up doing everything that you weren't hired to do. And uh, we took the company public in 2012, and by the time I left, we had half a billion uh, in assets under management, so quite, quite a good number. But I, in my stay there and working in, uh, in, the, in, the, in the fintech industry, I noticed that there's a lot of startups and businesses that uh, have a gap in ac- accessing capital, and then that's when the kind of entrepreneurial bug hit me uh, and started uh, contemplating more launching our own project, our own ideas. And 2016 was the day for me where I was like, you know what? I'm fed up. I'm done. Uh, this bug is getting bigger and bigger. I'm just going to go pursue uh, what I like. And I also like further blockchain for a while uh, in 2013. I was skeptical like a lot of people and probably started getting into it around end of 2015, 2016. That's when I kind of started getting intrigued by the industry. And at that point, I know how and uh, technology in general right on right on you said that you are lebanese born born and raised there and then came over to uh they say your uk first and then canada 
Yeah, I was born there, and uh, I actually went to an American school and university, and, uh, and then we are UK and then Canada. My mom's family has been in Canada for 30 years. So. Oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. How was growing yeah. up in, in Lebanon? Uh, interesting, let's just say. <laughs> I mean, part. I guess... I guess when I, I grew up in the city, right? So uh, pretty much secluded from uh, a lot of the political stuff or instabilities that happen around the country. But uh, I guess when you live there, you don't notice it. Mm-hmm. It's only when you get out, you notice like, holy, <laughs> I used to live there. <laughs> <laughs> right on, right on. So you said you worked for the first P2P lender in Canada. Yeah, I mean, that was interesting. I mean, that was... Literally the days when fintech started getting popular in North America in general, right? And uh, like getting the chance to work with Canada's first peer lender before we actually had to change our business model was definitely something interesting, especially that you have to butt heads with the regulators at that point. Mm-hmm. Like that's because that was peer-to-peer lending was the first step of the fight against the regulators it was not necessarily a fight it's more like pushing change right mm-hmm. people were used to crowdfunding like indiegogo and kickstarter where you get a reward and suddenly now you're getting into the world of crowdsourcing lending right mm-hmm. and uh, like uh, so that's when the regulators started getting into it and at that point we launched with the idea let's just launch and apologize later and we get a nice letter from the regulators the next day <laughs> and what did that letter say season desist immediately <laughs> really yeah frozen assets and bank accounts so and then and then what happened uh, so the company at that point, the management decided that uh, it's not worth the fight and the regulators, the regulations are not mature enough in Canada. So we decided to pivot our model to just a lender on the balance sheet backed by online data. So I moved to the U.S. So we started lending in the U.S. And uh, instead of doing peer to peer, we just raised money and went public, uh, did the re- RTO uh, or like a reverse takeover. And we raised money through that process and we started lending against it. So, so we went from a full technology company to it's like a... Eh. A lender with a nice website. <laughs> so then you started in the United States lending P2P. Uh, in the States, we did not do P2P. We just, the business decided to change the model completely at that point. We okay. decided to become just a small business lender on the balance sheet, right? So we raise money by giving equity. And then the money we raise, we use it to deploy capital and lend uh, to businesses. But traditional lending like, is an interest rate lending, nothing, uh, nothing fancy. So with the P2P uh, business in Canada, what was the arrangement of your company because what my question is is that if you had half a billion dollar in fund management and then they tell you to cease and desist what was your responsibility to those funds after that whatever you have invested or lend uh, lent out uh you had to basically kind of keep servicing but at that point we didn't even get the chance to uh lend right or we haven't we didn't even get the chance to launch properly because the season just came in before anyone sent their money or anyone uh got a loan from us right so all of that has to be shut had to be shut down immediately you've been in the business of lending people lending other people money for a long time uh 2009 now 2010 probably yeah all right eight years all right, yeah. all right. so then you saw the ico and you said you the cease and desist letter came in 2016, correct? No, not even. Two, that was, two, we were talking 2009, the cease and desist. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, the company pivoted and went public and became a completely different business in 2010, 2009, and the company is still functional till now. All right, right on. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. So then the ICOs come out. When you saw ICOs yeah. coming out, because you are now into STOs, but let's talk about ICOs. Right. ITOs came came out. What did you see with I, ICO? I don't even know what the question is, but what did you see? <laughs> I mean, it was a completely different industry, right? So now, I mean, if you look at how the industry have evolved from traditional Kickstarter campaigns where you have a product and you want to sell it uh, to something like, I don't know, equity crowdfunding early on to peer-to-peer lending, so peer-to-peer lending and then equity crowdfunding. And then next thing you had the ICOs, right, where people just create a token and they say, I'm doing this project. And then suddenly they raise 50 million in 30 seconds. Right. <laughs> like, uh, and a lot of people think that this hype started in 2016, 2017. But actually, the first ICO was MasterCoin in 2013, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it was done over, over in Bitcoin, not Ethereum, right, uh, like we know now. And then we had the Ethereum launch. And that was an ICO itself, mm-hmm. but which allowed the role for a lot of ICOs to come handy down the road. I mean, look. There's been, it's definitely a good model for people to raise money. I believe in involving the community because 
it is a good way of kind of expanding your outreach as a business and getting a network effect around you for users and getting access to capital to which is you couldn't have had access to in the first place i mean i think in 2017 alone we've ico surpassed vc funding right? Mm, right it's a great idea but just like every great idea or like the tech bubble it came it opened the door for a lot of scammy projects a lot of people who've never managed big checks in their life or had a tangible business to go there and raise money. Everyone who thought that their business is dying thought if I just launch an ICO and put a blockchain label on it, I'll be able to raise 30 million, 20 million. Uh, so that's why you had that influx of huge money coming in in 2016, 2017, uh, 2018 as well. Right. Until things started changing in 2017 when government started stepping in. But as, a, as, a, as an overall model, I think it's a great model to raise money from the community if it's done right per mm -hmm. regulations, per product, everything else. I saw a statistic just the other day, uh, 2017 raised about $7 billion in ICO funding uh, compared to, I think it was $3.2 billion in VC, and we're yeah. at $6.8 billion in 2018 so far. So it is definitely a good model to raise money, but is the ICO an ethical model? And what do you think of regulations? I mean, look, so I think the recent study was, what, 30% or 40% of the ICO projects that from 2017 have failed to deliver a product. 46%. Yeah, 46% to be accurate. So that's almost half, right? right. So you're talking 7.6 billion. Uh, you know, uh, like you're, I think the numbers in 2017 were around 3.6 billion or something like that. So you're, if you're saying 50% wouldn't fail, that means like half of 3.6 billion just went to garbage. Like that's people's money. People can argue if it's hard earned or not, but still, like they've invested that money, they made returns on it, and they decided to invest it in ICOs, and then they lost it because the project was scammy, or the management team did not know what the hell they were doing, mm -hmm. or they just thought because it's a hype and I'm gonna ride that way. And that's one reason why I hate using the word ICO in general, because because of that negative connotation it gets, right? Mm -hmm. Slowly in 2017, you started, because of all those scammy projects and uh, the fraud that happened, you started seeing governments step in, and mainly the SEC in the U.S., uh, Canadian regulators in Canada, uh, and the main, main, main people who took actual actions were the SEC, right? So I think early 2018, we had over 90, 93 subpoenas uh, to different projects uh, that targeted to investors. The main reason was forget about just the idea of fraud of the project whether the project is scammy or not the main reason was that you're targeting investors and at that point you're soliciting to the public so there's security laws that you have to apply to and the whole purpose of utility versus securities which i'm sure we're going to get into in a bit kind of started applying a lot of people would just brand themselves that hey we're utility while clearly their tokens is security paying money and profits uh, but it was a good wrapper to kind of say where you told the token. Uh, sometimes touching certain jurisdictions, you have to get clear, you have to get blessings of that jurisdiction. You have to do uh, follow certain compliance rules, which a lot of projects weren't doing. And I think with that influx of money coming in into the industry, uh, retail investors to be specific, or basically people who are not that sophisticated to understand what's going on in the space, started getting into it. I mean, I, I still get calls from a lot of friends like, hey, I heard about this project. What do you think? Should I put some $10,000 in? It's like, wow, do you know how it works first? <laughs> right? So I attracted all those get-rich-fast fanatics. Uh, and unfortunately, they don't understand what they're doing most of the time. And that's when the government had to step in and say, okay, you know what? It's time to regulate this industry. And I believe that it is such a good concept, blockchain in general, ICOs, ITOs, STOs, whatever you want to call them. It is a great concept to kind of reach out to the public and raise money and get backing for your project as long as it's done right. I mean, we've been talking in the blockchain space for the past two years. The institutions are coming. The institutions are going to come while well, we started seeing them, but they're not going to come in full force until there's regulation and compliance in the industry. That brings me off to a thought. 46% of the ICOs in 2017 have failed. Um, I think that it was a loss of 46% of, you know, $7 billion that was invested. That's I a market cap that was just disappeared, yeah. Yeah, I wonder if there, anybody's ever done a, a profit loss on it. Like, okay, so we, we say, oh, you know, $3.5 billion disappeared, but what about the other 3.5 that's invested in ICOs still? Have they doubled or have they exceeded their initial investment and have they made up for that that losses? I mean, not if you look at the market today. But, I, mean, definitely. <laughs> I made a mistake of waking up and looking at the market today, and I'm pretty exactly. depressed. 
I don't know. You think that Facebook adding new uh, allowing ICOs again to list would uh, bring the market up, but apparently it didn't. Anyway, no. yeah, if, if probably things would even out. Yeah, if you think the loss versus profit, yeah, would things even out? Yeah, like if, if one billion was put in ICOs and it turned out to be three point six billion, and then you lost one billion of that, is it going to consolidate? If you look the financials, probably it does even out at one point. Mm-hmm. But that is still three point six billion that could have been seven billion, right? Right, it's you true. It is still a loss somehow. Yeah, it's still like, yeah, sure, you've made profits and you have net profits, but your net profits could have been higher if you didn't have those scammy projects or those ICOs that failed. Right, exactly. That money could have been used in a different way. You're taking liquidity from the market, right? So when you're rising, doing 100 million for an ICO to build an infrastructure, do you really need that 100 million to build that infrastructure in the first place? <laughs> a lot of people don't see it. Like, you're we, taking up liquidity. I don't know we what have you're a- building. We have a show called ICO 101, and we had a show. Um, we had an ICO on that show that was raising fifty million dollars for their ICO. And the host, Aaron Paul, asked him straight up, "Why do you need fifty million dollars to make a freaking app?" I don't. His, I don't get it. I don't get it either. It's really hard to quantify why you need fifty million dollars. I had Oz Sultan on the other day, and he he made a really good point. He's like, "Look." You put one and a half or two Bitcoin, which is maybe you know ten thousand dollars, into the hands of somebody in the hood, and, and you tell them ten thousand dollars to go start their business. That ten thousand dollars in the right hands can start, you know, we'll a, a, a cafe. Lot. Exactly, can start a cafe, can start, you know, a, a barber shop, can start a lot of different businesses, and they can be successful. Why do you need fifty million dollars to start a freaking app? I know, it's just insane. Like, I, mean, I, I really, I don't get it. Unless you're using the money as a fund or something else, or unless you're launching the next SpaceX, right? I mean, <laughs> right. You don't need fifty million. You don't need fifty million to build a payment processing company or to uh, build a decentralized storage or whatever you want to call. It's like, a lot of people do it. You know what? Like, I don't want to keep doing Series A, Series B, Series C. I'll just raise the fifty million and sit on it, and that's it. I don't have to worry about raising money. I'll build the product. I get it if you're building a huge product that's going to require capital, that's going to scale. But not every project requires it. If you look at most of these projects out there, I mean, I saw recently a real estate project, uh, like a platform that allows you to do peer-to-peer real estate project, right? And I've been in the peer-to-peer industry, and I know what it takes to do peer-to-peer lending or in general. So, like, yeah, adding that to make it decentralized and blockchain-based and smart contracts. All right, what? Worst case scenario, another million. It's like right. you don't need to raise thirty million for that. He says. Richard Burton was on the show the other day too on ICO one hundred and one, and he right. was like, "It's honestly a fraudulent system of raising fifty million dollars all at once." He's like, "If this was, you know, different stages of fundraising, then he would understand. You might need fifty million dollars over ten years, but yeah. you know, raise two million, have a product." Raise another five, employ a system. Yeah, have, a have your token as reserve. Have a reserve and sell that reserve slowly. Exactly. And guess what? Like you sell the reserve at fair market value every time because if you're selling your token at 10 cents today and if you're doing a crappy job as a businessman, well, your token price is going to be two cents more <laughs> and you still have to sell more. But again, there are situations where that 50 million makes sense, right? Let's say you're decentralizing a venture capital fund, right? So you do need that money to deploy it because you're not building a product, you're true. doing investment. If you're building a lending platform and you need the money, for example, to lend, that makes sense. But at that point, your token is no longer a utility token. That's what we get into security tokens, which we'll get into. And that's what we're getting into right now. You said something. You said security laws. And I was looking at security laws, and I saw something called the Howey test. Can we go into a little bit about security laws before we go into STOs? Tell us what the Howey test is and what are they looking for to assess is a security or not? For disclosure, I'm not a lawyer. Don't take whatever I say for granted. So please do your check. Check with the lawyers. Check with the jurisdictions you're in. If you just take a step back before we get into the laws of securities, let's just get into defining what is a utility token and what is a security, right? So whatever has been happening in the market right now has been defined as a utility token, and you're going to hear this a lot. So I try to explain what a utility is by explaining what a security is first. So a security token is anything or just, Forget about tokens, just what security in general is. Uh, it is anything that's backed by a financial asset and has an expected uh, value for profit uh, in the future, right? Expected profit in the future. So that compensates a security. An example would be real estate, dividends, uh, debt, equity, royalties. That has basically expected profit in the future or is backed by an asset like a real estate. That constitutes a security. A utility is everything else that is not a security. So utility could be 
a gym membership or it could be an access right to a platform or I don't know uh, some uh, tokens that you use to kind of I don't know uh, slot machines right so these are right. all utility tokens but even some utility tokens that you use in a way could become security so I just mentioned gym memberships or a golf membership so let's say you open a golf membership and all they only sell 100 memberships a year right so you go in and buy all those 100 memberships yourself at $10 because that was the cost and then you go and sell them to your buddies and neighborhood friends for $100 mm-hmm. well guess what you've made some money on that technically there is expected profit now is it really a security is it not that's the question now at that point right uh, and that's we had the biggest argument recently about ethereum is it a security is it a utility luckily the sec just claimed that ethereum was a utility token but we need to look at things differently right because the regulators right now look at things from an issuance point of view right if it's a security or for it's a utility uh, and uh, what's the value of your token but they also look at it of how your token is being used so ethereum itself when they did their ico they were technically a security right i mean they did distribute the token people did make money but if you look at it from the perspective of how he used that ethereum is a utility it's providing you access to the network it's uh, allowing you to build on that platform so that's why ethereum got classified as a utility token what would happen if if ethereum was deemed a security oh We, if you think three hundred dollars is bad, <laughs> wait, uh, <laughs> wait to, wait to see that. I don't know how much that would have dropped Ethereum to. You think so? Yeah, yeah. Everyone in this would be screwed. <laughs> everyone who sold something on security would be screwed at that point because you've just sold the securities. All right. What is this Howey test then? And the Howey test is only U.S. based, right? So every okay. country has its own. I think Canada has Pacific Coin as a or Pacific project. So the Howey test by the SEC has a couple of rules. And basically it says, uh, does it have expectation for profit? Is it paying dividends? So there's a set of questions that you have to ask yourself as, a, as an investor, as an issuer, to verify if you're a security token, right? And just passing one example on failing the others doesn't mean you're a utility token or you're not. Passing two out of the three tests, for example, doesn't mean you're a utility. Or, or it doesn't mean also you have to pass all three tests. Just satisfaction, satisfying one of them can put you as a security, right? So does it represent an asset? Does it represent a financial equity? Uh, that could be uh, a security. Is it paying you dividends? Is it paying you? Does it is the purchaser buying it with expectations of profit in the mm-hmm. future? That automatically puts you a security. Right. So that's why you look at all ICOs. That's why the SEC said everything is a security because most people bought those tokens uh, or utility tokens, if you want to call them, and the ICO, but they didn't have expectations for profit. I mean, people who put, contributed to a $50 million ICO that's building a decentralized storage didn't do it just because they love the concept of decentralized storage. They obviously <laughs> thought about it as a new way of equity crowdfunding, right? right? They don't get shares, but they do have the liquidity mm-hmm. of that token. And they were hoping for expectations of profit, right? Absolutely. And that's why came in and labeled them. Absolutely. So then what is an STO? We're finally there. We know what a security is. We know what a utility is. What's an STO? So an STO is pretty much came as a reaction to ICOs, right? With the labeling of most projects as security tokens, and for people who want to come in in front of regulations and say, we are launching a security token, it became called an STO, or a security token offering, instead of labeling yourself as an initial coin offering or initial token offering, just because of the connotation or the bad connotation that term started to give in the industry. So a security token offering or an STO is basically any company or any issuer that's launching a token that represents a security, meaning that security could be a, a membership in a fund. So like whether it's a, an investment fund or a mutual fund or a venture capital fund uh, or whether it's a debt. So if you're doing peer-to-peer lending and your token represents that, equity or shares, uh, it pays out dividends or royalties. Uh, so that, that all of that is considered a security. And any company or issuer that's actually doing something like that can label themselves now as a security token offering. The difference is now, as soon as you're doing an STO, there's different rules. So you can't just basically put a smart contract out there and hope hope money uh, will flow into that. As an STO, you're now intentionally saying that I am a security token. So you can say I am launching an STO, but my token is a utility. That's an oxymoron, right? As soon as you label yourself as an STO or say you're doing an STO, now you have to follow all the uh, regulatory rules. So starting with KYC and AML. So know your customer and anti-money laundry 
uh, searches, right? So meaning you have to collect government ID. You need to make sure who the individual is. Are they on any sanctions, like for example, terrorist list uh, or sanctioned uh, countries in your jurisdiction? Uh, you're doing making sure that there's no money laundry fraud or uh, any uh, terrorist uh, activity on that transaction. And on top of it, we get into the notion of accredited investors versus retail investors. Mm-hmm. So as soon as you start soliciting to the public, uh, we get into the notion of those two definitions. What is an accredited investor? What is a retail investor? Each country has its own definition. Overall, in North America, it's an accredited investor is any investor that has more than 200 or earns more than $200,000 a year alone or more than $300,000 a year with their spouse or have more than $1 million in assets or $5 million in uh, net assets as well, right? Uh, or like if it's a fund with $5 million net assets. Uh, that's what an accredited investor is. Retail investor is anything that is not an accredited investor. So if you're just an individual who has, I don't know, $100,000 of savings in the bank and makes $50,000 a year, that's a retail investor. Or as other countries in like the UK or Australia qualify, uh, describe it as an, an unexperienced investor, right? Mm-hmm. I personally hate that definition. I think it just creates inequality. Right. But unfortunately, we live in a regulated world and we have to follow that, right? Uh, so when you're when you're touching accredited and retail investor, now there's limits on how much exposure you can have. So in equity credit funding, for example, uh, which also float to the ICO space, a retail investor in the U.S. has a limit of 2,500, right? Mm-hmm. While an accredited investor has no limit. Depending on what regulation you're following, some uh, regulations allow you to market and solicit your project and say you have a limit of $50 million, but other projects might limit you to $2.5 million, right? Depending on the regulation and the compliance you seek. So that's why you hear about Reg A, Reg D, Reg A+, Reg S. There's so many regulations in the U.S. that you have to follow. And every jurisdiction has its own. But mainly the U.S. and the SEC has been the the scariest monster that you <laughs> you want to stay away from, right? And that's why you see a lot of projects right now are uh, avoiding the U.S., avoiding China, avoiding South Korea, right, mm. uh, or Singapore. But in general, as soon as you're in the STO space, you have to comply with all those rules, making identifying who your investors are, uh, identifying where they come from, the source of that money, and staying compliant all the time. And it's not just at the issuance side, it's what we call secondary markets. So people buy and sell from each each other, right? So even when they're buying and selling from each other, you need to know who that buyer is and who that seller is. Oh, wow, is it, okay. is it an accredited investor selling to a non-accredited investor? If it is, on the initial issuance, a retail investor can only buy $2,500 worth of that asset, right? right? So can I go in a secondary market and buy 10,000 now from someone else? No. So unfortunately, all the tokens that do label themselves as security tokens right now, and there's just a bunch of them, they're not really 100% compliant because right. at the issuance, they did that. But on the secondary market, it's still a free-for-all. You can go buy it on the secondary market on IDEX or 0X without KYC, without AML, without saying if you're an accredited or retail investor, right? And now, a word from our sponsor, Anko. Hey everyone, I want to let you know about Anko. Anko is the world's first blockchain-based health tech financial solution platform. Health tech is new in solutions in overcoming evolutionary challenges, diseases, disabilities, and longevity of life. Blockchain health tech will drive development in diagnostics, treatment, and research. Anko has been created to deliver health tech innovations to the forefront of society. Inco's platform will deliver high-impact projects. They will be supported by an ecosystem infrastructure via their blockchain platform. All of this is possible through the utility of digital financing, health tech, and evolving ledger-based technologies. Inco's platform will deliver Inco's own blockchain that will unite health tech projects with three further pillars of applications, Inco IB, Prime, and Smart Cap Solutions. To drive the next stage of human evolution, Inco is dedicated to building an innovative ecosystem, which they created an environment based on trust, integrity, and openness. If you're interested in their token presale, which starts on July 27th, go to incoin.com. That's A-E-N-C-O-I-N.com and contribute in the first 24 hours of the token presale to enjoy up to 55% bonus AEN tokens. Again, 
That's A-E-N-C-O-I-N.com to register. Now, back to our show. So that brings me to my second question, actually. If you do an STO, is it everything all good? Or like, like you just said, do you, is, are there other things that you have to maintain and hoops that you have to jump through? What yep. does an STO and how does it separate you from getting scrutinized by the SEC? So, so saying, oh, I'm an STO and I'm just going to launch, hey, guys, I'm an STO, I'm compliant, but you haven't done any compliance, does not say you're good. So as soon as you say an STO, what you're doing is actually you're opening the eye even more on you, right? So now you need to look at each jurisdiction you're issuing. So let's say I'm a project in Canada and I want to do global, right? I, I want to launch a project that presents equity in my company and pays out dividends to all my token holders, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so now if I'm attracting investors in the US, I'm attracting investors in Canada and Taiwan and Singapore, uh, all around the world. So now I need to look at what are the jurisdictions that I'm uh, looking at. So let's just say for simplicity, I'm only targeting the US investors, right? right. So now uh, I'm doing a public offering in the US. It is considered, whether you're a public company or a private company, it is considered a public offering of a security, right? So the first thing you need to do is you need to figure out which regulations you're going to apply for. So are you, is your offer going to only attract accredited investors, right? So if it is an accredited investors uh, only, you can do something called a Reg D. So you can hey guys, TiVo here to tell you about the UFI Video Lock, a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell all in one. That's right, three in one for triple the security. It's easy to install. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. It gives you keyless entry, so no more fumbling your keys when you have your hands full coming back from the grocery store. No more worry about the kids losing a house key. No more worry about a guest losing the house key or forgetting the passcode on your door. And for Airbnbers, it's a no-brainer as you can change the passcode at will between renters. It has available fingerprint recognition and it has AI self-learning chips. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You will have no anxiety with the battery charging. It is a rechargeable battery and it lasts around four months. But don't worry, when it's low, it'll give you plenty of weeks notice. And also, it always comes with a physical key as a backup. There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee to get your backup recordings, they're always recorded locally and you will always have access. Customer support for the Eufy Video Lock is 24-7, so you don't have to worry about any issues you have. And it comes with an 18-month warranty. What I love about this product is it is truly all-in-one. With the three-in-one, you don't have to go out and buy multiple parts. It's all in this package with the Eufy Video Lock. So if you're interested in learning more, go on Amazon and search Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock. Again, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock. Get complete control over your front door. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success file a reg d uh, a reg d basically allows you to do an initial investment to an accredited investor without filing uh, there's something called the 503b exemption and then when you file well, let's say i do an initial investment of thirty thousand dollars from an accredited investor i have 15 days from my initial investment to file something called form d with the regulators or with the sec 
And then after that, this allows me to do two things. You can either do an exemption called 543B or 543C. 543C, for example, allows you to market and solicit on law, TV, radios, blogs, website, only to accredited investors, right? So you can put all those ads out there and say this offer is only available for accredited investors. Mm-hmm. 543B basically allows you to approach accredited investors and also allows you to reach, I think, up to 35 retail investors in the market, but that does not allow you to market or solicit. So that means you are you have a network of your own and you're reaching out privately and you talk to them because you know them or you've been introduced to them. And that's what that exemption is. But Reg D is basically accredited investors. Uh, let's just say you're a U.S. issuer, so you are a U.S. company, but you want to raise an ICO, but you don't want to target U.S. investors and you want to target everything else. So there's something called Reg S. So Reg S means... I am a U.S. issuer, but I'm not attracting U.S. investors. I'm attracting international investors. So you have to file the Reg S. And there's Reg A and Reg A+. Uh, Reg A+, is the most important one and the hardest to achieve. It's pretty much like going public. Uh, it allows you to raise $50 million from accredited and retail investors uh, with marketing, with solicitation, per the law. So as soon as if you're going to be doing this in the U.S., you have to file for that. And that's legal work. So for Reg A+, you need to have two years of audited financial statements. You need to be properly incorporated. You need to have a proper team. You need to show all the paperwork. You need to KYC or know your customer and all your investors, no matter what, AML checks, all of that. So it's a lengthy process. So now you're, you need to have a boarding process for your investors. So you have to collect their information. You have to collect their government IDs or, or have an identity uh, verifying provider, right? So... Uh, it's a lot of work. You have to accommodate now that you have money to spend. It's not just about putting a white paper out there and hoping for the best. Uh, you have to approach your lawyers. You have to approach your regulators and the jurisdictions you're targeting uh, because you're a security token. Just because the SEC said yes doesn't mean you can go and sell in Singapore now because Singapore has its own security laws. Right. right? Same thing in Canada. So just because the U.S. gave you their blessing doesn't mean U.K. is going to give you their blessing. Yeah, chances are if the U.S. gave you their blessings, other countries are will uh, because that's the hardest to get. But, I mean, these are rules you have to follow and uh, take in consideration when you say I'm doing a security token offering. So you, you answered my next question already. Is it hard to launch an STO, an ex- successful compliant STO? And the answer is it's a pain in the ass. It is a pain in the ass, but it is the right way of doing it, especially that now the consumers are protected because the SEC is not going to just approve a project or the right is not going to approve some questions and I want to know how your token works and what's involved, right, so that there's no scammy projects out there, right, and uh, there's no Silk Road, right? right? So that's, I mean, yeah, it is a pain in the ass. It's three to six months process sometimes. It depends on how complicated your project and you have to make sure that you have all the paperwork and you need to be ready for an audit in the future. So if the SEC or the regulators come down knocking one day, it's like, you know what, show me all the KYCs that you've done on all your investors. You need to show that you've done that compliance check and it's verified and it's checked so that if you are called to court one day, you have the document. Right. So buying $20,000 worth of KYC data from Russia is not going <laughs> <from Russia, laughs> to reach that. It's not going to help. So what do you think of these uh, ICOs that purposely avoid the united states and the uk and korea and things like that that that's a fair game if they want to avoid that because it's easy uh, because it's easier for them that's fine as long as they're not really doing it so if you decide to launch a project and say you know what i'm only going to do it in crypto friendly jurisdictions like gibraltar or switzerland or whatever then fine just don't attract us investors if you're really saying you're not doing it but at the same time like you're starting to see other countries say that like finma for example in switzerland just said that if it is a security token you have to follow security laws a lot of projects in switzerland were happy operating there because they didn't have to do kyc and then switzerland then issued in december or november 2017 like hey guess what you have to do kyc and aml and suddenly you see projects delaying their launch by two months three months <laughs> it's like, oh, shit, we have to figure out where to move now it's obvious that it's easier to do an ICO without the the KYC, the AML. It's easier just to say, hey, give me $50 million and I yeah. promise I'm going to do stuff. Of course, are they being fraudulent? Are they being deceptive? I mean, I know the easy answer is some are. But it, at this point in time, 2018, if they're not doing an STO and complying with local security laws, it's a choice to be either lazy or fraudulent. Would you agree with that statement? 
Yeah, I mean, still, you can still have a fraudulent project even when STO that's regulated. The difference is now the regulators who know who the management team is, who the owners are, and they have contact individuals, they can subpoena them and put them in jail, right? Mm -hmm. That's the difference if you're running a regulated approach. And you can even have a non-regulated ICO project that could be successful. There's a lot of non-regulated and non-compliant ICO projects that did not file for those paperwork, didn't do KYC, and they're very successful and they're giving back to the community and I'm not going to name them so it doesn't show that I'm biased but I mean there's good projects that I bought in myself and I believe in and they've been working and the community is using them on a daily basis Right. and these guys didn't do KYC didn't file regas they just launched their ICO back in the days before things were not that complicated mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they're running it smoothly but you have other projects whether there were good regulations or not they're the worst thing that happened to the community <laughs> So why is everybody saying the security token is the next trend? And what are you doing uh, with security tokens or helping to facilitate this? I mean, the reason why people are saying security tokens are the next big thing is that we've been saying institutional money and financial, like bigger financial players are going to come into the market, right? So it's no longer just for uh, the crypto kids play, right? Uh, so And for institutions to come in, you need regulations and compliance to be in. And that's what STOs or the, or the STO trend is facilitating. So you have, I think, what, 3.7 trillion financial industry and assets of securities, whether it's debt, royalty, equity, the public markets. That's the value of that. It's around 3.2 trillion, 3.7 trillion, right. roughly. So for you to see that come into the blockchain and crypto space, it's gonna be a big you, deal. Need to token, you need to tokenize it. And the only way you can tokenize those assets is by launching something called security token offering. So people talk about how can we take the current gap from a 3.7 billion to a trillion well that's how you do it stos is the way to bring it to a one trillion market cap and that's why there's a big hype and you're seeing venture capital jumping on this people launching uh, equity as a token debt as a token royalty as a token and that is why it is the next big thing for 2018 because regulations have come knocking on the door uh, and there's no way around it at this point and that's why everyone is pivoting to an sto because regulators are saying Really, most of the projects are security tokens. You can't hide it. And that's why you're going to see you do the tokens go down and security tokens go up. Because 2017 alone, you had almost, what, 0.25% security tokens in the project, whether they were fully compliant or not. Mm-hmm. But 2018, you're going to see that 0.25% gets higher and higher and higher. At one point, people are going to be talking about security tokens. And utility tokens are going to be the exception. We want some of that money that, uh, what was it, $3.8 trillion or whatever you said, (laughs) to go into Bitcoin. How is that going to happen? Is that that not going to happen? Okay, so the the way that... The the discussion of Bitcoin should stay away, different from securities token, because I I think personally, Bitcoin is more of a commodity. It's not really, there's no definition of whether Bitcoin is a security or not. Bitcoin is a commodity, right? So it is, uh, how are we going to get it to a one trillion crap? I think Bitcoin has on its own path. It's not going to be classified as security. I and mean, I think most of the security token projects are being launched on different platforms like Ethereum or uh, I'm not sure if people are going to launch on EOS or Stellar security tokens. But how are we going to bring that to Bitcoin? I think Bitcoin's value is going to go up slowly. Uh, we're not slowly. We're, we're, people are talking about 25,000 at the end of the year, 50,000, 500,000 in five years. Uh, I mean, that's what's going to bring it up to a trillion. It's just that supply and demand movement is going to push it to a trillion market cap over time. Mm-hmm. I don't think security tokens is the one that's going to bring it to Bitcoin. Unless really we have a, a new improvements in the Bitcoin industry where you have more people launching security tokens as a Bitcoin. But I don't know. I think Ethereum, smart contracts, and the smart contract functionalities that are being added to tokens is going to drive those platforms or protocols to the uh, higher values. But I think Bitcoin has a, a different trajectory and path that has nothing to do with STOs. That's just my personal opinion. Uh, people might disagree. Tell us a little bit about Coral. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, exactly. So Coral is just basically Coral Reef, but we just dropped the A because we don't need a vowel. We're so cool. <laughs> because, you know, who, who, because, just because fuck vowels, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we don't need them. <laughs> no, it's, it's a fintech trend, apparently. You drop the last vowel in your name. So what Coral is doing, we're building a, a plat- investment platform for startups and small businesses. Uh, that allows them to get access to founder-friendly, non-dilutive uh, cash, right? So 
the traditional way of raising capital as a startup or a small business is either taking a debt from or a loan from a bank or giving up equity and board seats and control a new company. Mm-hmm. What Coal is doing is we're launching a platform that allows businesses in general to raise money through what we call revenue sharing or what people in the financial sector might know it as royalties, right? So we deploy capital in the business and we take a percentage of their revenue until they pay us back. So let's say I uh, give you $100,000. We say, you know what? Matthew, you're going to pay us that $100,000 as $150,000 over the next few years, and you're going to pay it back by giving us a percentage of your revenue stream until you do. Mm-hmm. This way, as a management team or as founders, you have full control over your business, and you, uh, you're you growing at your own pace. You don't have the VC push that's telling you to grow at their own pace uh, to, egg, to have that 20, 30x return that they want on their home run. And the way we've done it is we've built a fully automated platform backed by blockchain, big data, and machine learning, right? So uh, we're collecting almost 10,000 data elements on each business uh, that connects with us. And that allows us to kind of take a three, sorry, six to nine months process of fundraising and crunching it to two weeks. That's basically solving a gap that's in the market of 3.6 billion. So there's a 3.6 billion gap right now in financing startups and small businesses. And a lot of people haven't been handling it with the right products out there, whether it's equity quiet funding or peer-to-peer lending. That funding gap keeps growing day to day and month to month. So, and that's where Coral comes in, uh, hoping to solve that uh, fundraising gap for entrepreneurs. Right on, man. Good luck to you, and I hope everything works out with that. Thanks. Do you mind if we go into some general questions about the crypto space? Sure, go ahead. Excellent. You have crypto. Of course. Of course. How's your How's your portfolio looking today? Mine's not looking well. Uh, <laughs> same here. Like I, I try not to look. You know, to be honest, I. I look every other week, but I mean, I know if I look now, I'm going to be pissed. So I know the markets now are down. It's a, blood, it's a bloodbath in the markets, right? It's, it's and, But I think I think we're in the last wave, right? Again, I am not giving any financial advice for based on today. I think, the last, I think it needs to hit 5,000. Ethereum needs to hit 300 before we see another consolidation in the market and going up again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's just my opinion based on my analysis of what's happening. Right on. But so you think there's some silver lining in our gray clouds? You think yeah, you think yeah, we're yeah. going to see a $10,000 Bitcoin, a $20,000 Bitcoin this year? Yeah, I think it's like if you follow the Elliott pattern waves, mm-hmm. I mean, there's what, like five, uh, five, like one, two, three, four, five. So I think we're at the last down. But there's probably going to be one more uh, drop and then things are going to pick up again. How much is going to go? I'm not an oracle. But yeah, people say that when Bitcoin dropped to uh, 3000 and went up, to 15,000 after, right? So, and when, and when it dropped from 10,000 to 2,000, there was a bigger uh, increase after, right? So, mm-hmm. is this going to be the uh, the silver lining that's going to bring it up to 25,000? I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. We all hope so. We all hope so. Is I'm going to break 1,000 bucks again and Litecoin is going to break 500? I don't know. Uh, let's, oh, oh, Litecoin 500. Litecoin 1,000. Please. Uh, Come on, Charlie. Yeah. Make some of those make some of those connections that we're hoping. Amazon, Facebook, something. Come on, Charlie. What are you doing? Stop buying watches. Well, he apparently he sold those Litecoin, so he's not uh, he's not biased anymore. Yeah, no, no, no. We got to get him some Litecoin again because he's incentivized. <laughs> I'll send him a couple of my Litecoin to get him incentivized again. Uh. <laughs> here, here, have point two Litecoin, Charlie. Get to work. <laughs> So whose advice in the space do you take? Let me frame this question. We follow a lot of people on, you know, Medium, Steemit, Twitter, or whatever. And they write blogs, they tweet, and what have you. If this person tweets, if this person writes a blog, who's somebody that you're paying attention to and you'll read it? I follow Vitalik a lot, to be honest, like uh, from Ethereum. Uh, I like what he says. Vitalik is one of those people that... It's like he he'll, he criticizes Ethereum himself. Like he's not happy with how scalable Ethereum is and pushing for those changes. He's like for some reason not happy that Ethereum is going up in price, right? Because mm. he thinks it's overvalued. Right? <laughs> Which I like, but it's, it's nice to follow. Metallic, shut up. I know exactly. It's like I mean, it's nice to follow people like that who are just in it for the technology. And I and I like what he says. I'm always following the changes that he's suggesting. Not just him, everyone in the Ethereum Foundation and in general, right? Whether it's Vlad, Vitalik, and uh, everyone else around them. Uh, other people, I just like follow the basically CEOs or the founders of projects that I kind of invested in from ICOs. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Uh, I can name them if you want, if you're comfortable with me naming them. But uh, that's up to you, man. <laughs> no, I mean, like I follow Jesse from Bloom, right? So I believe in decentralized credit scoring. We had Jesse on the show. Yeah, so I'm a big fan of Jesse. I'm actually like I I've met Jesse in a couple of events in Montreal before he even went to the blockchain space when he was just into marketing and podcasts as well. As well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I follow Vinny from Civic. I just like what he has to say. And a couple of there's a couple of other like basically influencers in the crypto space just that follow, randomly follow them on Twitter and just interested to see whether it's in Montreal or in Toronto or around the globe. Uh, but mainly like I follow Vitalik is one of the people who actually actively go and search to see what he actually said recently. How's Bloom doing anyway? I haven't had I haven't talked to Jesse in a while. Uh, I mean, I follow up their podcasts every now and then and see what's the update. I mean, they're seeing that they're boarding more people using their platform, and I see, I see their price slowly going up. But I think we're still a bit far from mass adoption for decentralized credit scoring. But mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of decentralizing and your credit scores, your medical record, your educational records, all of that, where you have to do things six times if you're moving six times a year <laughs> uh, between jurisdictions. Uh, I, I believe in that decentralization of those records and owning those records yourself. Uh, right. But yeah, I think I think Bloom is... There will be a silver lining at one point, but is it going to happen this year? I think it's when you have mass adoption by institutions and lenders that are or just the mass consumer space. Uh, you'll see Bloom go up further. But for now, it's like I'm just watching the space slowly. Right on, right on. You know, yeah. kind of weird comment I, I might make now is, how old is Vitalik? 24? Something like that, I think. Yeah. Some, something like that. And I've, I've been, you know, watching him as well for the past, you know, couple of years. And I've seen his ideas, I've seen his kind of um, ideology kind of start shifting. And I don't know if that's because of, you know, maybe experience in the space, the way the space is growing, or his age maybe, you know, getting older. And he's saying it because I, I can tell you right now, I'm not the same person I was when I was 20 years old. <laughs> and that has definitely changed throughout time. Do you think that Vitalik is going to, when, he, when he's writing, when, he's, when you see him talking about, you know, price and tech and things like that, do you think that that just is kind of his age showing or do you think that it is definitely something that he should be focused on, but they maybe need to put somebody else in for the business aspect? And if they do, yeah. well, how would that affect Ethereum? Because to be perfectly honest, if they even if SEC says, you know, it's not a security, well, shit, I want to make money off of it. <laughs> I, I want the price to go back up to 1200 or 1400 what, what it was in December, January. So if the, the leader of the organization is saying, in, in quotes, I air quotes, I'm putting leader, is saying, oh, it's overvalued, bro, we invested. Well, it's, not, it's, not, it's not like he's, over, he's saying overvalued. I think uh, he's one of the people who like, believe just like the, the increase in price is too much and it's just moving forward. And I think that was some of his tweets and uh, discussions internally within the Ethereum Foundation in general. But... As an Ethereum holder, I don't think it's overvalued. I think Ethereum has created space for a lot of the things that are in the space right now. I think now. it's ICOs undervalued. There because Ethereum. Yeah, it's Everything's here because of Ethereum. Yeah, exactly. So, but again, I think I, it, I think it's more of a humble opinion that he's coming from that he, I don't know, uh, I'm not analyzing the guy why would he say that, but... I mean, why would Charlie Charlie sell off his li- all of his Litecoins as well, right? So it's right. the same thing. I, th- I think they're trying to kind of keep that distance where they show that we're not that uh, incentivized or not that crazy about pushing the price forward because otherwise people would think, I don't know, uh, we're fully incentivized and we're doing this for our own good and pockets. Uh, I mean, these are guys who believe in technology and trying to make it better for the community. Mm-hmm. And it's normal to see it that way. Now, whether I agree with him, if it's overvalued or undervalued, I keep that. <laughs> we both agree that we don't want him to be saying that it's overvalued. I, I personally think Ethereum is undervalued and it is going to be competing uh, with Bitcoin over market cap. Elon, Elon Musk uh, also said the same thing about Tesla, I think. Yeah, he's like, oh, the, the stock price is a little too high right now. It's, you know, it's a lot of speculation. Yeah, because I think, well, these are humble, smart people that believe in their products and think that their product has potential and that potential hasn't reached its limit yet or its threshold. But again, there's hype in the market. People get excited about Tesla. People get excited about Ethereum. Like you and I know if Elon Musk starts a project tomorrow and does an IPO, we're all going to buy in. Because oh, man, I'm waiting have, for SpaceX to go yeah. public. Yeah, because we don't give a shit what he's building. We just know that he's going to build it, right? <laughs> <laughs> same, same thing with Vitalik. I mean, it's like these are guys, personally, I think, believe in the technology and believe in the product, and they try not to let the hype 
improving it more than it was supposed to be because I, I think Vitalik knows that Ethereum needs to be improved to scale further mm-hmm. by proof of stake. Mm-hmm. And I think for maybe for them in their head is like, okay, well, it's not worth that yet, uh, right? But again, do we agree? Do we disagree? As an investors, no, I disagree. I'd rather exactly. be higher. There's there's a lot of Ethereum killers out there. I'm doing air quotes again. Yeah. Ethereum killers out there. Do you think that they have a chance, or do you think that Ethereum is going to just you know continue to be the number one platform and just wipe them out with their own uh, solutions to scalability? I, I, I love that they're all supposed to be Ethereum killers, but they all launch on the Ethereum network for their initial ICO, and then they go to their mainnet later on, and then they have to pull off mainnet because there's a security breach, <laughs> and then they shut down the mainnet, or like they have to bring it off, or like there was EOS, so they had an issue with mainnet after mm-hmm. they all left, right? I mean, and they raised, I don't know, one billion. Why the hell do you need one billion in the first place? <laughs> but, uh, I mean, yes, look, there's a lot of products that are, I mean, Ethereum said we have a problem with scalability and the only reason why you can avoid it is by switching to proof of stake and doing different projects, whether it's Casper or other or Plasma, right? Are they going to be really killers? I mean, most of the projects that have launched now have launched on Ethereum and ERC-20 tokens. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll be a killer if really down the road everyone migrates and starts launching their projects on NEO or right. Cardano, other projects. I don't know. I, I think Ethereum is there and has potential. There's definitely need work that needs to be done to make it more scalable, especially if you're going to be bringing STOs and that $1 trillion market cap uh, uh, supporting them, I don't know. Like, just CryptoKitty is gonna paralyze the network for a few uh, for a few weeks. <laughs> so I can't imagine if we bring one trillion of assets to the network, what's gonna happen? Exactly. Crypto One One is positioned to be the first step. Our, our SEO. Somebody said on the show the other day, our SEO is, is great because if you say crypto yeah. cryptocurrency one hundred one or one hundred one on cryptocurrency, we pop up on Google's first page. Thank yeah. you for that. But that allows us to have people on the show and do these talks like we're doing right now on one-on-one topics you know it's, it's a possibility that somebody's going to see this and this is going to be the first podcast that they listen to in their crypto journey if this mm-hmm. was and sam you're the pers- first person that they listen to what would you want them to know what advice would you give them uh don't buy into the hype right so yes blockchain sell and the crypto. hype by the fud yeah exactly <laughs> blockchain in general is a great Technology advancement in our in our days. It is if you if you thought the internet was a great thing, this is the next big thing. Uh, but unfortunately, a lot of projects didn't come in and try to take advantage of that hype to attract investors' money. So no matter what, whether you're buying Bitcoin or Ethereum, like the basic the basic coins, do your research. Don't just get into it because your friend told you he just made twenty x in two months, right? Uh, if you don't know how to manage your wallet and you're gonna put ten thousand dollars because your friend told you that and you lost it, guess what? It's your fault, right? So uh, don't get into something you do not understand, right? So that is my first advice. So if you're going to be dumping in that $1,000 in crypto that you want to try, go in with the mentality that, hey, you might lose that $1,000. And that's what I tell a lot of my friends and family members when they want to buy in, right? So go in in the mindset that, hey, there's a high chance that you might lose this $1,000. Like, not necessarily you're going to lose it, but just going in with that mentality. So research, learn about the industry, learn about what you're investing in. If you're going to the ICOs or the STO space, read the project. Please don't just check the website and think that the white paper. Research the management team. Look what they've done. Uh, check if there's really competition in the market, if that product is viable. Does it really need to be on the blockchain and tokenized in the first place, right? So learn, 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 and then invest. That is good advice. Probably the most common advice that we get. Yeah. <laughs> but it is definitely good advice. I was like, yeah. I mean, also one thing that I liked is uh, buy what you believe in. I mean, I invest based on a philosophy. I don't. There's cryptos that, yeah, I could have been made made a killing just buying them. Mm-hmm. But part of a philosophy, I just I would never invest in. Right. Uh, same thing if you're buying in the stock market. Right. I mean, I have a philosophy in the public traditional markets. I only buy marijuana and uh, lithium stocks for like a clean energy. I only mm-hmm. buy clean energy stocks, is that right? Um, so and I buy other stocks, but I have a philosophy that I follow. I, this is what I understand and this is what I invest in. You should have the same thing in crypto, right? Especially if it's ICO projects. Right, right. You know, everybody keeps saying that blockchain is the next big thing, is the next internet, man. Re- do we really believe that? I mean, look, I think what we're 
in you know, the early stages I asked of this, the bubble? I'm sorry, wait, I asked this I asked this question because you can go and you can look at any popular science or popular mechanics magazine going all the way back to the 50s and they say in the year 2000 flying cars robots running around and shit like that and now we're we're kind of doing the same thing you know we're over here we have this technology and we're saying like blockchain is going to be the next internet the next big thing we don't know and why did why do people keep saying that like we don't know we had something called the internet bubble right Oh, when did the bubble burst again? <laughs> it's like I don't know, man. Uh, ninety four, five, six, something yeah, like that, right? Something like that. Like, and you're like, if you're thinking about the bubble, we're in the like the early stages of the bubble, right? So, people might say, no, we're not in the bubble. Like, guess what? Wake up, people. We are in the bubble. Like, when you have like shitloads of projects in the industry, and a lot of them are failing, that is exactly the bubble. When you say forty six percent of the projects last year have failed, well, guess what? That's what happened in the bubble. There was a lot of projects that came in and started doing things on the internet and uh, being cool and having a website and then they failed when money came, got into that. We're in that stage where the very, very early stage of that bubble where you're going to see all those projects come in and then when that bubble burst, few projects are going to make it and there's going to be a consolidation in the market, whether mm-hmm. it's security, whether it's uh, exchanges, like how many exchanges in crypto do you have now popping every day? Oh so yeah, you, man. You're going to... I mean, with decentralized exchanges coming into the market, the zero X, I personally believe that a lot of fires are going to consolidate and zero X is going to be one of the main protocols for decentralized exchanges. Mm-hmm. But same thing for other ICOs. Like how many decentralized storage projects are there? How many decentralized Uber, decentralized Airbnb, decentralized this, decentralized that? At one point, they're going to consolidate. Like, right? Like look at the markets now. You probably you have Dropbox, Drive, iCloud, Google Drive, right? Mm-hmm. Before the... Or at least these are the ones people use and hear about. The early days, we used to hear about shitloads of those, right? Right. Or same thing, like forget about crypto. Like everyone is just trying to to be the next Airbnb, the Uber of this or the Airbnb of that. And guess what? There's been consolidations on those markets. And the same thing is going to happen in crypto. But still going back to the, the, the question, blockchain being the next internet. The, yeah, the internet that's, is... that's, what I, that's what I meant. I mean, yeah. It's a human right, basically, the internet. And it, you know, at this point, it's like you can't operate without the internet. You really think that we can't operate without the blockchain in the future? Uh, I think, yeah, we're, we're going to reach a point where the decentralizing and cutting the middleman is going to become such an important thing, especially with the newer generations that are coming in. I mean, we're in a generation where we don't, we don't like the middleman. That's why we use Uber and Airbnb. We don't book hotels. We don't write cabs. We started using fintech companies instead of dealing with banks, right? So we use fintech apps like well simple for investments instead of using mutual funds from a bank and getting 1% a year. I mean, you're going to see more because blockchain opens the door for more of that, the decentralization where everyone can be their own bank. Uh, there's people areas in the world where people don't trust governments, don't trust banks and blockchain is the only way they can uh, what they trust, right? Uh, that decentralized ledger of anonymity and uh, basically it is going to be more important day after day as we move forward. And one applied properly, I think, yeah, technology can definitely leverage from that, especially in the financial institutions where you don't have to wait three, four or five days to get a transaction from the U.S. to Pakistan, right? Or and pay $70 on that transaction. Right. I mean, yeah, is it going to happen tomorrow? Is blockchain going to be the next big thing tomorrow and we can survive without it? No, I think this is a five-year project plus. Mm-hmm. I mean, then at that point, we'll say, oh, shit, I can't blockchain. I need it. <laughs> if you're launching a business that's not using the technology, it's like, what, what do you mean you're not using blockchain? I mean, look, just look at the evolving thing. Email was a big thing forever. Like People used to use Outlook Express and Microsoft Outlook forever. And then Gmail and Hotmail came in. People was like, oh, you don't use web emails? Like, you're, you're crazy. Like, I, don't, I've, I haven't used a mail client in years. And now it's like, what? You use email? What about Slack? And, and then now you use right. Slack. It's like, what? what do you mean you're on Slack? There's WeChat and Telegram. <laughs> right, right. Right. It's hilarious. I love yeah. it. <laughs> Sam, before I ask this last question, I want to say thank you very much for spending an hour in one minute and 25 seconds of your time talking to me today. <laughs> I'm glad to uh, participate and I'm happy that you invited me. So, Last question of the day. What three songs would you like on the Crypto 101 Spotify playlist? Let's see. Uh, something 80s, definitely. My right? man. <laughs> uh, what, what year were you born? Yes. Uh, 87. 87? Oh, you're a young dude. Okay. Uh, yeah. I'm uh, 31. All right. I, I'm, I, look, I look wise and sound wise, but I'm 31. <laughs> 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 At least I hope that I sound wise. Uh, definitely something Pearl Jam. 
There you go. Pink Floyd. Uh, I'll definitely I want something Muse as well. Muse, it's not okay. 80s, uh, yeah, it's not 80s, but uh, I'd uh, I'd like something Muse. All right, cool. cool. Uh, Abs- Absolution album, maybe. <laughs> I'll put some of that on our on our playlist. Yeah. There Sam, you go. enjoy your night over in Western Canada. Have a nice I'm... glass of wine or a nice beer, and you relax, and oh, we'll fine. talk to you soon. Cool. Talk soon. All right, brother. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Crypto 101. Head over to the YouTube channel, Crypto 101 with Matthew Aaron, to check out my roundup. I usually post the roundups about two days after the episode comes out. And before we go, as always, ApogeeCrypto.com, that's A-P-O-G-E-E Crypto.com, the best place to check your real-time prices, CryptoNews.com for your news, and WPOnTheFly.co if you need a website. We'll see you in the next episode of Crypto 101. Thank you very much. This is Matthew Aaron. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. 